Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, November 22nd. We are here live, and it's time for the Power Hour. We'll be joined by the team from Pittsburgh Power, and we will take all of your maintenance-related calls. If you have questions about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. This show is all about you and your questions, so line them up. 855-950-3835. The team from Pittsburgh Power is here in the house. We'll hear from them in just a couple minutes. I want to catch up on some things that are going on around here. And then we'll get right to it. So go ahead and line up the calls. So last week I started a new feature. It's a show on the app. It's called Kevin's Commentary. And uh, I've committed to at least trying to do this twice a week. I'm really hoping that it can just become an everyday thing. So really the way to think about this is I used to do on on SiriusXM, I used to do a fairly long open a lot of days, usually between uh, 15 and 30 minutes. Sometimes I'd go to the first break, sometimes I'd go to the second. And I haven't been doing that as much now that we're on our own network because I really like to dedicate as much time as I possibly can to the calls themselves. So when calls started to come in really quickly during a show, we would just go right to the calls. Uh, a lot of people said they missed that that opening where I might recap the news, talk about a certain topic. Uh, so I have made that its own show. One of the things that we're able to do now that we have so much flexibility with our own network, our own software, our own infrastructure is separate out the shows so you only have to listen to what you like to listen to. If you don't like my opens, you don't have to listen to them anymore. Uh, I, I may do, you know, very short opens, just talk about some things that are going on. And then when calls come in, we go right to them. If I have guests, we just go right to the guest. So if you want to hear what I'm reading, what's going on in the news, um, you can do that. In fact, I the system is working really well. We kind of tested it this morning. I didn't even start recording my commentary until 7.20, just about 40 minutes ago. I finished it just in time to get set up for this show. And Aaron just sent me a text. It's already live on the app. So you've got uh, something to listen to. Not right now, because you're going to listen to us live here. But uh, right after the show, you've got a commentary to listen to. Today, I talked about um, mostly about the market conditions in trucking, what's going on with rates, with expenses. Uh, I'll warn you, the news isn't good, but there's a good lesson in there. there. There's a good message. And we're going to keep that positive message alive during what I expect to be some pretty tough times coming up. So check that out. I will continue my goal. My goal really is to do one every day and I'll kind of tailor it to that day's shows. Like Monday's a free for all. So you might get anything. Um, Tuesday, the power hour, you know, I'd like to make it more maintenance related, but there's not a lot of news around that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm up in the air on, on what I'll do there because there is a lot of news I want to talk about. So Wednesdays will be primarily health-related. My commentary will be about what I've been reading and what's going on in the health world. Uh, Thursdays, another free-for-all. Um, Friday's trends in technology. We'll try to keep that uh, commentary towards um, new technology. Again, it, talking about things specific in the trucking industry around news is difficult. There's not that much happening, but that's that's my goal. That I'll I'll going to try to do one of these every day, um, and try to kind of keep towards the theme. Some days I will, some days I won't. All right, so that's that. The schedule for the rest of this week, we will do a live show tomorrow. It will be Lauren and I. We have no guests. Um, we're going to talk about a couple things tomorrow, kind of a theme, 
And we just agreed on this about uh, three minutes before I went live. Actually, I agreed to it. I don't know if I've heard back from Lauren yet. I texted her. Oh, yep. Uh, No, no, I haven't heard from her yet. Um, But the theme for tomorrow, um, I'm going to be talking about a documentary that we've been waiting on and it premiered last night. I actually watched it on Twitter live. Um, What a change that is. So prior to Elon Musk buying Twitter, anything negative about the vaccine was likely to be censored. If you did it too often, you were likely to get banned completely. That was a huge target for Twitter. Anything negative about the vaccine. The movie is actually called Died Suddenly, and it is all about the vaccine. And if you believe it, the deaths that it's causing, the numbers are shocking, War, way worse than even I thought. And I read about this stuff every day. Uh, I will warn you, don't, don't watch this with your children. Um, it's pretty graphic. They show autopsies being performed and nothing is blurred out. You're seeing it all. If, they, if this is not real and they faked it, <sighs> Uh, It's a hell of a fake, Uh, and it should be very, very easy to disprove. None of these people are anonymous. There's some some names, uh, two, I believe, flight surgeons from the military, at least one flight surgeon from the military, and and everybody names themselves. If this is fake or false, it should be very, very easy to dispute. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but that's one of the topics for tomorrow. If you want to watch that. Um, and I would recommend it. I believe if you go to, let me find that link real quick, uh, stewpeters.com, S-T-E-W-Peters.com. And you can watch that documentary. It doesn't cost anything and spread it around. Um, if it's fake, the more we spread it around, the quicker somebody will disprove it. If it's real, people need to see this. Uh, and we will also be talking about um, immune boosting heading into the uh, what we're now calling the sugar season. Uh, everybody else refers to it as the flu and cold season. So with that, we're going to jump in. We'll hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power. Then we'll get to your calls and questions. So line them up. 855-950-3835. Bruce, welcome back. Thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. Good morning. And what's on your mind today? Well, about once a week, I get a phone call. I just had my truck rebuilt. And he's a really good mechanic. He's been working on my truck for 20 years. And I lost power. I lost fuel mileage. What do you think's wrong? First thing I ask, what's the turbo boost? The fellow yesterday was able to tell me, 22. I said, what's the pyrometer reading? Stuck on 150. So the pyrometer is broken. It's down eight pounds of boost. So we don't know if it is getting the fuel or if it's got a massive boost leak. If it has a massive boost leak and he's driving it, that means he's running 200 degrees too hot on exhaust gas temperature. And he could be taking the tension out of the brand new rings that are in the engine. If, if the pyrometer was working, we would know whether it's fuel or whether it's air. But he's going to be bringing it in and we'll get it straightened out. But I say to these people, did you call your mechanic? Did you take it back to him? Some say, I did. And he said, everything's within spec. You know, we've heard that over and over. <laughs> no, it's not within spec. Right. Because this happens to be, this was a D-Deck 4 Detroit. They built a, a D-Deck 3 block because they said the block was, the D-Deck 4 block was bad. It used to have our manifold on, but the mechanic says, no, that manifold won't work on a 3. What? The same manifold. What? The same manifold. What? Yeah. So what what would cause a mechanic to the manifolds on the engine right or was this something he was thinking about putting on it was it was on the D deck four but then since he built the D deck three he said the manifold won't work so they didn't put the manifold on so 
that just goes to show what this mechanic knows. And if this mechanic knew something, he should have taken his truck for a test ride after he built it. He should have put at least 16 to 20 miles on it. He should have seen that it only makes 22 pound of boost, and he should have seen that the pyrometer doesn't work, and he should have went right back to a shop. In fact, a truck will idle at 300 degrees if the thermocouple is in the manifold on the hot side and be slightly less if it's in the exhaust pipe. So you know the moment you start and it's idling whether the pyrometer works. So the mechanic should have fixed the pyrometer, but he didn't. And he should have known that a 500 makes 30 pound of boost, and he let it go at 22. Now, if the mechanic doesn't know what the engine should make for turbo boost, he hasn't done his homework. I, I was going to actually, that was going to be the first thing I commented on here, because when, when you say it was eight pounds down on boost, a lot of people might be wondering, well, how do you know that? There's a, a formula for calculating boost, and you've kind of got it in your head. You've done this enough. You can look at most engines and know slightly different formulas for different engines, right? Like the, the twin turbo cats, you have to calculate a little right. differently. Sure. Um, but, but that's how, sure. if people are listening and they're wondering, well, how do we know it's supposed to be 30 pounds of boost? It's a, it's a calculation based on horsepower, isn't it? based on horsepower and then you have to take into consideration the bore and the stroke and the cubic inches okay the liters so but on average a 500 like a 500 and 14 makes 30 pounds of boost a 500 detroit makes 30 pounds of boost a uh, a 550 cat should be set at 32 but for some reason caterpillar set them at 28 so they run a little bit hot if you have a 550 cat i'm talking 2003 and older it should make 32 pound of boost a a 475 a cert should make 38 and then if it's a 550 it should be up in the um, 42 44 pounds and and just now when you get into the EGR engines, and you have the variable geometry turbo. Now that's a different ballgame. Got it. And I guess what we need to do is do a segment on that and talk about what they are stock. I think what an X15 set at certain horsepowers is, and what the DD13, the DD15, and the Volvo one. Got it. So a couple things here. One that, you know, when you kind of run these numbers through their, your head, you're, you're getting close. You're, you're not going down and really taking into account all the factors close enough to know. Uh, and just for reference there, the, the A-certs, obviously, twin turbos producing more boost. Um my uh, my C13 A-cert is uh, producing about 60 pounds. So um, it's definitely up there. Keeping all that's, the uh, connections on was special. tricky. That's right. I am special. People tell me that all yeah, the they, time. They, they, gave a, they gave you a special tune for <laughs> yeah, special Kevin. Yeah, special K, right? Special K. There like you go. K. That's right. <laughs> so uh, a, a couple things about this. You know, find out, and I'm sure this is, they could call you, they could, you know, message you on social media. You guys answer questions on Trucking Tribe all the time. Um, find out what your engine should be producing and then check it. And then even, you know, even if you don't know this or you don't remember, watch your boost gauge all the time. What What is the maximum boost you achieve and get used to watching that number? And then if that number changes... That's your indication that something might be going wrong. If you are able to produce 28 pounds of boost on a hill maximum, that's the highest you ever see, then pay attention to that. And if that changes, same with the pyrometer. You know, there's no exact numbers on, on what these should be. Pyrometers even more all over the board than boost. But get used to what your truck does. Actually, we should say this about all the gauges, right? Oil pressure, mm-hmm. oil pressure at idle, oil pressure on a hard pull. Get used to what your gauges say, and then you'll know when something starts to go wrong. That's why we have all these gauges. And if you don't have the boost in the pyrometer, get Gives them. you your known. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting yep. it. This is your known. That gives you a known. Yeah, get these. You know, gauges. a lot of us had algebra one and. Go ahead. Yep. We had algebra one, algebra two, playing geometry in high school, and it was you had to have a known x equals, but we had to have a known, right? Yeah. And so your gauges give you the known, and but here's what's amazing. <clears throat> Either this truck has a massive boost leak or drastic fuel starvation, but or the mechanic went in and screwed with the ECM, and that's usually the problem. Oh. Why, why do mechanics have to go into that ECM and screw with it? But everybody feels compelled. They've got to go in <laughs> this ECM, and it's... This is the black box. This is the yeah, brain. Is. I got to go in and tinker with it. Yeah. And if you don't know what you're doing, stay the hell out of it. I, and most people don't know what they're doing. You know, I, let, let, let's be honest. All these was, truck stop I, tuners and, and mechanics that can buy some software and plug in and start tweaking with things, it, that doesn't mean they know what they're doing. Most people don't. Right. You want to you want to get an education? Come and stand in our electrical engineering department. Listen to these three electrical engineers talking in their own language. It's uh, it's kind of shocking. It it is it is invaluable. I got the opportunity to spend a couple of weeks hanging out there, and you know, as much as I love talking to the mechanics, you know, who are turning wrenches, and and I did plenty of that. I was just blown away by how much I learned by, and I had the good parking spot over there. Although you gave me the hardest parking spot to get into in the garage with the coach, but I was right in front of the engineering department. So I got to hang out with those guys and I learned a lot. And I've said this before, I found out that even though they're, you know, the electrical engineers and they're always in there working on their laptop, those guys are all gearheads. When I needed help working on the coach, I just grabbed those guys. They were, uh, they're, they are not afraid of turning wrenches. That's right. That was, uh, and I did something else yesterday. Eric Moser does most of the analyzing of the oil analysis, but Eric's on vacation. So Bill, Pete, and I are taking those, and I had some questions and about base and oxidation. So I called Dr. Jane Gates. And I said, Jane, do you know anything about oil? She said, yes, I do. Oh. And she started, to tell, she started to tell me about the oxidation in the base, and she lost me. Oh. So oh, hey, I that's said, a good thing, Bruce. Whoa. That's a good thing. I said, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you on a radio show tomorrow. She said, no, give me a week to study this and to put it in our terms. So I sent her for, and Bill Feldman sent her some oil analysis, and she's working on those. And next week, we're going to have Dr. Jane on the show to talk about some of the chemical aspects of the oil analysis. I, that, that, as soon as you said you were talking to her about oil samples, my first thought was, we've got to get her on the air and talk to all of us about this. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And tell her... Um, give her my phone number and have her text me if she wants to talk about, you know, anything on oil samples between now and then. If she has any questions or whatever it might be, just have her text me and her and I can jump on a call real quick. And because mm -hmm. that would be exciting. I'd love to get her perspective on some of this stuff. Um, every time you talk about something, Bruce, I keep writing down notes and my notes keep getting longer. Um, I'm going to forget what some of these are. I, I want to go back to a couple of these, though. Um, the oil analysis thing with, with um, Jane, I really like that idea. Um, let's go back a little bit to, you know, the, the boost gauge and the pyrometer. First off, make sure you have mechanical on both. You know, the, the scan gauge is okay. You can read these. You know, it, it's all right. Um, the factory stuff may or may not be okay, depending if it's coming through the ECM. We would really like to see these two as mechanical gauges so we know they're not being interfered with. You know, it's just a direct reading right from the source. And they're very inexpensive, so put them both in. The other thing I got thinking as you were talking about this is that, 
no matter how complicated this, these diesel engines get, no matter how many computers they put on them, no matter how many sensors, it still really always comes back to fuel and air. Now, you may have some of these electronics and computers and sensors messing with your fuel and air, so we have to deal with them, but ultimately, that's what that engine needs to run. It needs fuel and air in the right ratio at the right time. And, and many of our problems still come back to those two things. That's right. We can't forget you that. You can't have any boost leaks. Yeah. You can't have any boost leaks. You have to make sure you have a clean fuel filter. Many trucks come in to go on a dyno for a fuel, a power loss, and uh, we do the first run, and then the second run we change, or we do an oil filter. I'm sorry, a fuel filter change, and then we do the run, and the power's back. So that guy just spent four hundred and some dollars plus went out of his way to get to us. So he might have lost a half a day of work and only because it had a dirty fuel filter. I, I can remember a time where we spent a lot of time talking about fuel lines on older trucks and fuel lines had deteriorated a little bit over time. And it was hard to pick up on the fact that that was the problem. But between watching pyrometer and, and boost over time, we started to notice, hey, a lot of these trucks, you know, past a million miles, they, they, you should be replacing fuel lines. And almost every type of fuel line it would have some sort of a, a problem, but it was so small and it came on over such a long period of time, it was hard to diagnose. Mm -hmm. On the big cams, we had said that eight, eight years and I forget how many miles that was, but uh, around uh, seven or 800,000 miles, you must change the line. It is a number 10. You're better off to go to number 12 because it returns a lot of fuel. On the four and a quarter B, they use the number eight line. They don't return as much fuel as the, to the tank as the big cam, so they feel it isn't quite as important, but it still swells shut. Yep. Yep. I think I probably told you the story about the the guy that uh, called me one day, cab over Peter built with a big cam in it. He said he's on his sixth set of injectors and six fuel pumps, and nobody can make his truck run forty five mile an hour top speed. What? And. <sighs> Yeah, 45 miles an hour top speed. And he was up in the Oil City, Franklin area, so it was about an hour and a half north of me. And I shipped him a set of injectors and a fuel pump, and man, did he drop the F-bomb on me. And <laughs> he was back down to 44, 45 mile an hour, and I said, bring that truck down here. And it took him several hours to get it there. I took the plug out of the front head because the fuel goes into the rear head, and I had my fuel pressure gauge on the fuel pump, 250 pounds on a snap test when stock is like 157 to 167. Wow. And I had given them 250 and the pump was making <laughs> 250. So I, I made up a, a long hose and I took the plug out of the front head and oh, uh, yeah. I ran it up into the cab with a liquid filled fuel pressure gauge and we went for a ride. And we went up Rot 910, which has this long, swooping left-hand bend. But when you're coming down the hill, a lot of trucks crash on this. So we're bobtailing, and we're coming down the hill, and he's got his foot on the floor. And I'm screaming, thinking, we're not going to make this bend. <laughs> we're going over the guardrail and into the ravine. And, and yet, my fuel pressure gauge up in the front head showed zero. My fuel pressure gauge on the pump showed 250. Wow. So I looked. Usually there's a steel line coming out of the top of the solenoid going to the back head. It's copper-coated steel. He has had a number four or a number six Stratoflex line on. A lot of people did that because it was easier than, than going and buying a regular steel line. And I said, well, that must be the restriction. And I'm pretty new. This was probably right. in 1979. 
And I took that hose off and I took it and put it in the vice, took a hacksaw and I cut it into pieces about two inches long, completely swelled shut. Wow. And I'm looking, I said, how did this engine even idle? Right. So I put the new steel line on and the problem was solved. Wow. Wow. All right. One, well, before I get to this topic, do you have anything else? We had a lot today. Okay. Uh, This is kind of for everybody. I'm going to bring uh, Pete and Leroy in next. So yesterday I had a call. Um, I'm surprised that I've missed this. Another issue with the X-15. And I didn't realize it was this much of an issue. So the guy called me and the story was kind of confusing in the beginning. He was talking about that he knew he had a coolant leak and that's what he took it to the shop for. Now, I originally, for some reason, I originally thought that this was a shop that his carrier owned, like an on-site shop. I don't know why I had that impression, but it was a an authorized Cummins shop, a dealer, truck dealer. And he said that they had 400 and some thousand miles on it, and they replaced the head and the cylinder kits. And I said, well, and he's got problems again. I said, well, why did they do that? And he said, well, they were, it was so close to the warranty being out. And I said, no, stop that. That's nobody does that. There had to be something wrong. I said, trying to get, you know, comments. And again, I'm thinking this is some, you know, his local shop at the carrier. I said, there, nobody would do this. That's a really, really expensive repair. And nobody's going to do that just because you're close to warranty being out. And he kept saying that every time I would say, well, why did they do this? What was wrong? And all we could come up with was he was losing coolant and nobody could find where. It wasn't dripping out. He claimed it wasn't showing up in the oil samples. And I'm saying, well, where is it going and why did they do all of this work? Well, they, we finally came to the fact that they replaced the head because at first we thought it was a cracked head. Then I actually had him go back and get the paperwork. It was leaking coolant around the injector cups. It was the best I could get out of this paperwork. I said, okay, that makes sense why they replaced the head under warranty. Why did they do an in-frame? I said, what was the oil consumption on this truck? And he said it was zero, didn't use any oil at all. And I said, why did they do the cylinder kits? And he said, well, because we were so close to the end of warranty. I said, no, stop saying that. Nobody does that. And it turns out it was a, a Cummins authorized shop. And I said, something you have to, to get Cummins or any OEM to do cylinder kits, you have to jump through all kinds of hoops. You have to prove you have oil consumption and a lot of it. And I said, something about this story doesn't sound right. So he went back to his paperwork. He, we, we couldn't get a lot of information. I said, you need to go back to this shop and ask them why all of this work was done. Well, then I had multiple calls. Probably six people called me and said, this is common. Our fleet's been doing this over and over. Um, the heads are, are failing somehow, cracking or injector cup issues. We're losing coolant. And then um, the liners are dropping. And, and they're going in. And a lot of these are happening at 600,000 miles with no warranty. His happened at 400 and some. And he still had warranty. And they covered all of it. So I was just wondering, how did I miss this? Is this just something new that's starting to show up? Are you guys seeing any of these? No, we're not seeing anything like that at all. Yeah, I had six that's, calls. I, w- I would argue that uh, Pete, Pete would know more about that than I do. Pete, uh, are we seeing that on X-15? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring both those guys in right now. Pete, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. Good. Any thoughts on this? This was a really confusing, frustrated call yesterday. I couldn't figure out what he was trying to tell me. Yeah, for sure. So the injector cups do leak, and sometimes they can be repaired without pulling the head off. There's a a tool to seal them. So we always try that first. 
Um, as far so as let's stop right there for a second, so I can understand this. When when we're leaking coolant, I guess is it around the injector cup? The injector cup isn't seating and sealing into the head. Correct. So okay. there's a so, couple places where it can crack, and that usually occurs after an overheat. Um, there's, and I know in the older engines, N14s, they have an O-ring behind it that can deteriorate if you don't maintain your water or overheat it. Um, and then on the ISXs, and I think the DD15s are the same way that they um, just don't seal tight enough and they leak. And there's a, a so, tool you put in there to uh, make the seal more complete and, we, and doesn't leak anymore. So if it leaks at this point, it's leaking straight into the combustion chamber? Is that where it's going? Yes. So it's going gonna... to... It could be a leak where... It's such so my it can be very minute where it's burnt through the exhaust. Um, you don't you lose coolant. You can't find it. It doesn't show up on oil analysis. That's it's, what I was wondering. It's very it leak. You know, under certain conditions, heavy load, high temperatures. Uh, worst case scenario, it leaks truck off, fills up the piston, leaks down past the rings, and then of course you get coolant in the oil, and that would show up on a sample. Right. So it would depend on how bad it leaked, whether you would get it in the uh, in a shelf in the oil sample. Well, his sounded pretty consistent. See, often like he was adding a, a pretty specific amount of coolant on a pretty regular basis, but it wasn't showing up on the ground or in the oil sample. And I was totally confused. Like See, how often are we seeing this? So that is... That seemed to be an issue a few years back. I saw it more than we do now. Like they must have had a bad batch of them. Um, not seen it quite as much before, but you know we have seen it. It's somewhat of a simple fix, but again, his might have only been leaking. You know, let's face it: when you shut the truck off and it's static, you don't have the the heat, the vibrations, right. the, the pressure you have on down right. the road. Right, which could cause the leak. And at that high cylinder temperature, that antifreeze just gets burnt through and out the system. I mean, it doesn't show up as smoke. It doesn't show up right. in any form. And it's like, okay, it's gone. Where did it go? Now, as far as the liners, Cummins went to, on the ISX and X15, what they call a, a mid-stop liner. So unlike N14s, um, Detroit 60 Series, DD15s, the liner sits in a counterbore up top. Cummins moved it down lower in the middle of the block, hence the name mid-stop, which is a lot beefier of an area. So you have less chance of it moving, changing. Liners don't move as much. You don't have uh, the cracks. You don't have the dimensions falling on, on them. So obviously that's something that we always check for. When a head is off a truck, my guys have a sheet of paper and it has six circles in it, one through six and then ABCD um, on each circle, and we put in the line of protrusion, and we keep it with the, the customer's work order. So down the road, we know, like, hey, we told you the line of protrusion's low. You didn't want to fix it. Um, or, hey, I, I think I have a problem. Well, we know the protrusion's right because I have it in paper here. The line of protrusion doesn't change as much with that mid-stop liner. That's the whole, why, whole reason they went to it. But, I mean, it, it does change. Um, Again, maybe it was on the low side from the factory. You know, did a, a batch of engines get out that way? That's possible. Uh, we see it occasionally. I see more liner protrusion issues with the older 60 series and the um, cat engines than I do the other engines. So in, in a case like this, we're at 400 and some thousand miles. He's losing coolant. We can't find it on the ground, can't find it in the oil sample. They determine it is the head and the injector cups. So they replace the head. And at this point, they also do all the cylinder kits. So we must have had some sort of liner issue. Um but the idea that he kept saying, well, they did it because I was just so close to the end of my warranty. That, that doesn't happen, no, right? Cummins would avoid that problem. Yeah. They, no. It, I mean, some people do that. Hey, I want to do you a solid. Yeah, right. For nothing once. <laughs> yeah. Do so, 
knowing Cummins and 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 all OEMs, I'm just not picking on Cummins here, especially that close to the end of the warranty, they're not going to do anything they don't feel like they absolutely have to do under that warranty. So this had to be a fairly severe, right? Right. I would think on the work order that, you know, especially for Cummins warranty, you would have to note on there, check line obtrusion, line obtrusion out of spec on cylinders one, two, and three, or one and five, you know, whatever it might be. I, I can't believe that's not on the work order. He couldn't find it yesterday, and I asked him to, you know, dig back in. I, he may call today. I actually said I, I would love it if you would call tomorrow when we've got Pittsburgh Power on and, and we can address this, and they'll have better answers than I have. So we may hear from him today. And I asked him to either go back through the paperwork to see what he could find or even call the shop. Um, and my message to him was, when you have major work like this, whether you're paying for it or not, you should be asking a lot of questions. You should know what happened and why it happened. And my, my question today, my, my follow-up on this is, how reliable has this repair been? Are, are, when they fix this, is it fixed? Are we seeing any of this coming back, or do we not have enough time to even know yet? So as far as the liner protrusion or the liners dropping, they would then cut the ledge for shims and as long as they put it on the high side of the spec. And so on N14, the spec was four to seven, not much of a range on the mid stop. I believe, and I don't know the numbers, but the, what they find acceptable is a much larger gap of acceptable liner protrusion. Um, as long as they sit on the high side, it, it should last quite a while. Got it. You know, again, if 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 the limit and they set it at fifteen, uh, you know, it's not going to be long. All liners drop, regardless of the engine. Cat Cummins, Detroit. Um, that's just the the nature of the beast. The, the liner protrusion does drop. It never gets taller. Right. Right. So you know, we'll go back to something Bruce Spad said, and we talk about it all the time when a shop tries to say, "Well, it's in spec." Well. That's always a problem. It sounds like it's even a bigger problem here. If they've made that spec so big, such a wide area that's acceptable, and somebody puts it, you said we want to be at the top end of that. Well, you know there are people out there that when they go to check it, it's near the bottom end, and instead of improving it, they'll just say, well, it's within spec. Right. And that's like when we do the rebuilds here, you know, we have the advantage. We have the tools to cut the counterboard. So, you know, we can make sure that it's always on the high side of the spec. Right. And they give right. you some options with different the shims. We can double shims. You know, we, we cut it in house. So we always put it on the the high side of the spec for that reason, because but we I, know they're going to drop. Yeah, I could imagine a shop that doesn't know all of this, doesn't know how important it is, doesn't have the tools, doesn't do it in-house saying, well, look, we're, we're within spec. We may be down at the bottom end, but it's within spec. We're not going to mess with this. So on the, the 60 series, I believe the spec was zero to three or zero to four. That's pretty and tight. And we just never leave one up. Yeah, we, we, and we'd never leave it out at one. I mean, just it would right. go out. The liner's coming back out. We're different shims. We have to cut it, uh, whatever it has to be. If we're doing a rebuild, it's going to be on the high side. It just yeah doesn't make sense. And I think, fortunately, a lot of the shops are like, well, again, hey, it's in spec, so I'm going to let it fly because I don't have to cut it. And then I have to clean it. And, you know, that's just extra work, so why should I do it? Got it. Yeah, and, and that's why we have a sheet of paper. Like you know, I can call my guys out. Like, hey, yeah, you know, hey, it's at two. Why, why is it at two? Right. So we have the machine. Make it three. Perfect. Um, and, and they do. Uh, my yeah. guys are. It's something that we really preach to them is it's always on the high side. And they'll come get me or Brian. Like, hey, you know, this counterbore. What do you think? Um, let's take a look at it. We're really cautious with making sure it's. That's one of those deals where it's 100% right or it's not right at all. Yeah, yeah. For us, anyhow. Well, good. All right. So that that explains it. Maybe you'll call today and we can get a few more details. But uh, I, I was just leery of uh, – here was the other issue with this truck, if I remember right. I'm not confusing two calls. Um, I think this was the least purchased truck. 
that he's his lease purchase is going to be up in like four or five months. He was really close. He's got a big balloon payment, 52000 for a balloon payment. And I was trying to decide if I would buy this truck at all. And I'm leery of trucks that have major problems at 400,000 miles. I always wonder, you know, what went wrong and is this just going to be one of those trucks that's a problem? So maybe he'll call today and we can clarify some of that stuff. So thanks for that. Uh, so now you're up, Pete. What else do you have for today? You know, with that said about the truck, the fact that that in-frame would have probably cost him twenty five grand had he had to pay for it. Yeah, I thought about thirty five, but you know, yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah, Um they probably just reused injectors. I'm guessing. I'm not sure if they did or didn't, but uh, I doubt if they replace injectors for free. But who knows? Yeah. Um, might not be a bad buy. And again, fifty thousand square miles. But considering what's out there, you know, it might not be a bad deal for him. Yeah, I. But my answer I to, was. Yeah, my answer was. Since you've got four or five months, his his original question, as long as I'm not mixing up two calls here, his original question was, should he buy it now? Should he buy out his lease early? And after hearing the story, I said, I wouldn't. I would wait. Let's see what this engine's going to do. Let's see if we, you know, a lot of times after you've had a kind of repair like this, something will show up pretty quickly. So let's give it a couple months. The used truck market is changing rapidly. That truck is worth 52000 right now. It might not be in five months with what's going on with prices. So uh, that was that was that one. So we'll see. Warranty, he also needs to realize it doesn't start the day they rebuild it. It's back to the original date. Yeah, right. So, so if they yeah. rebuild it a month ago and he has two months of warranty, he has one month more warranty left. And if they screw something up during the rebuild, he's SOL. That was it's my concern. Warranty. Yeah, that that was my concern that, that we should just wait and see. think that the warranty continues for some reason when they cover it under warranty. And it, it doesn't. It goes back that's to a good the point. original date. Yeah, that's a good point. So if you're, you know, 10,000 miles away from your warranty or two weeks away from your warranty, that's all you have left on that major in-frame. So my small note about the whole dropping liner thing, okay. I have heard this quite a bit. Um, it's usually when you have an ISX that has a combination of a bad program and you lug the engine. Ah, okay. So if a truck is set up poorly and they're trying to run it at like, you know, a thousand RPM or 1100, it's something about the lateral thrust or something like that on the side of it. It's, it's dropping the liner. This is, so well, I have I'm, heard that quite a bit. I'm glad you brought this up. Liner. This is when we, you know, start comparing the architecture, the bore and stroke, the the uh, connecting rod length, how much side load is putting on that being put on that piston. I, I could see that just makes sense. A lot of side load against that liner would put more force pulling it downwards. Um, like Pete said, they never go up; they're always coming down. Uh, and we've been warning people from just about day one that we talked about this, you know, pretty extreme down speeding we're able to do on a Volvo or Mac down into the 900 range. But that bottom end was built for that. And the ISX is almost at the opposite end of the spectrum on this. And we tell people, don't think you can run that engine down that low. It's just not built for it. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. To, you're trying to do something with an engine that wasn't designed to do that. Right. And the other thing is, um, when when you combine sort of, it's not, it's not like a design defect. It's just that it, the engine is not designed design. to run. Right. And then when you combine that with a program that has, um, it's set up in a way that has too much cylinder pressure in the wrong place uh, of, you know, crank angle. Right. So you have too much cylinder pressure where the rod doesn't have a good leverage on the crank. Yeah, the, the force has to go somewhere. And when people have a combination of bad program and they lug the engine, I have heard a lot of ISXs taking out liners pretty quick. I'm glad we talked about this then, that all starts to come together about three or four things we've been talking about for a long time. 
uh, explains what's going on here. All right. Good stuff this morning. All right, Pete, what else you got today? All right, a couple things. One, we're going to start our Black Friday sale uh, Wednesday morning. We're doing $100 off OPS starter kits, uh, 20% on Cummins Overstock. So we have some parts that uh, we're, we're calling Overstock. They're online. Uh, you can see if it's anything you want and call in to order it. We're going to do 10% off on tunes, and that includes the remote tunes. Now, we're going to run that from uh, Wednesday in the morning till December 3rd. Because obviously, if we do it just over the holidays and no one's here, they're not going to get any tunes done. So we're going to, you know, run it longer. And then 10% off a, a damper or a balancer and 15% off if you buy both a damper and balancer. All right. So I'm so going to jump in here and encourage people. First off, if you've ever been considering a tune, do it now. 10% off is a, a great savings. And the tunes, in my opinion, are your tunes, not any tune, but your tunes, the stuff you guys have worked to develop. One of the best improvements I've seen on every engine you've touched of mine. So I would encourage people, if you've been considering a tune, get it done now. The other thing, though, this is a really good time to stock up on stuff. Uh, you're getting it on sale. We're right at the end of the year, so your tax break when you buy stuff now comes a lot faster. Um, if you buy something in, if you wait till January to get something, your tax break doesn't come for 15 months. Buy it now, and your tax break comes a whole lot sooner. So I always encourage people at the end of the year to look ahead to next year. What kind of stuff do you know you're going to need next year? Buy it now. Let's accelerate that tax break. And with inflation the way it's running, and it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon, um, everything you pre-buy is, is like an investment. You're, you're saving money just by pre-buying stuff. So really good timing. All right. What else you got? So I had a customer call. He had coolant uh, or I'm sorry, oil in his coolant. So he had a oil cooler go bad. It was on an older, uh, big camp for, and their oil cooler, it's just a bondal, um, a good unit. Seldom gives us any issues, but again, they're getting old. So he replaced it. He cleaned it, called back and said, Hey, I think I'm still getting oil in the coolant. And I said, well, you know, it's possible you got a bad element, but those are generally trouble free. Right. As I was talking to him about how he cleaned it, like, okay, what did you do? What did you use? Um, there's different brands of cleaner. Um, he road tested it, but did not get the truck up to operating temperature. So the thermostat's not going to open up. Oh, You're not yeah. going to clean the block. You don't have the advantage of the heat breaking the, the oil down. And this is one of the cases where, Especially in the wintertime, um, I would throw a piece of cardboard in front of the radiator to make sure I got up hot enough that it opened up the thermostat and, and got it pretty hot to help break it down. It, and what we're seeing is it's a lot harder to get the newer oils out of coal than it was 20 years ago. Huh. I mean, it was, That's interesting. We used Thorush brand. It's a great cleaner. We've used it for um, years. It's made by Iron Tight. Uh, there's a stop leak that we sell that works great, and then the flush. And you dump two bottles in it, up to operating temperature, drain the block and radiator, a couple fresh waters, and you're done. And we're seeing nowadays that we're doing um, multiple um, soaps to get it clean. Um, it's, I don't know if it's just what's in the additives of the Probably, oil or yeah. the coolant, but it's getting a lot out so you got to make sure it's clean sometimes it just takes um you know to flush it with the soap drain it maybe throw soap in it again get it hot run it for a while you know get that stuff circulating and and two or three clean water flushes before you um put antifreeze back in it you know that that i learned how difficult this can be to get everything out of the system when we were doing the Evans conversions because you had to get all the old coolant, all the old water out. You had to test it. 
when you were done, and it, it was a lot of work. So the idea, put some cardboard up there, make sure the thermostat's open. Is there anything we can do or need to do with the, the sleeper? Because I know we're, we're sending coolant back there to a, a heater core that might be back there. Is, is there anything we need to do to make sure we're getting good flow back through there? I mean, other than making sure the heaters are on okay. so that we're circulating the cleaner through the uh, elements. Okay. We do so, that as well. So during this time of year, I mean, you don't have moths likely, but this time of year when you're running the heaters, yeah, you definitely want them turned on. Okay. So go back there, make sure the heat's turned on, turn it up to hot, get the fan running back there, make sure we get good circulation. All right. Uh, another good one. What else you got today? So uh, last thing I have, I was um, changing oil in my car. It was a uh, time for a change, and I thought I better um, check tire pressure. And uh, my pickup sits a lot, and I'm like, oh, I better fire that up. I want to make sure the battery, you know, it sits more than I haven't used it for a while. And fire it up, and I see the tire lights on, and I'm like, shit, I better check. And they were all low. Now it sits more, but this time of the year, you know, we just yeah. had a cold snap right. two weekends ago. It was 78 here. Um, now it's in the teens. Uh, the, the truck and like two months ago, I put air in all the tires because I was using the truck and topped everything off 32 pounds. And the, the one back tire had 26. It dropped that much with the cold weather. So, you know, we're always looking for fuel mileage, uh, this time of year, we need to really make sure we're checking that pressure on a regular basis. Good to point. Get the winter air in there. That's right. Get the, get that summer air out and, and get winter air in your tires. Yep. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so when I came, Oil, I changed oil in my car, and my uh, girlfriend's son, I helped him change oil in it. And both the cars were sitting, and we just did it where they were sat at. And both of them had close to the 5,000-mile oil changes. How thick the dirty oil is compared to the fresh oil. Again, you know, keeping oil clean is really critical. And I think it's even more critical in the wintertime, especially for, you know, it's flowing properly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Remember... Um, several years back when, um, the, the big thing around tires was nitrogen. People were actually paying to go have Mm -hmm. their tires filled with nitrogen instead of just air. And the theory was that nitrogen molecules are bigger than oxygen molecules and they leak out of the tire slower. And um, it, it makes sense. I mean, if that's really what's happening and, and air can actually get through the rubber of the tire itself. Uh, it's a very slow process, but the idea was nitrogen would slow that down or maybe even stop it because they were bigger molecules that that never really caught on. And I used to tell people all the time, look, if there's somebody that will put nitrogen in your tires free, it, do it, but don't pay for this. Um, and the one thing that I never thought of till we started talking about this back then. Our atmosphere is 78% nitrogen anyway. So when you're putting pure nitrogen in your tire, you're not making that much of an improvement. It'd be a hassle if you did need air, then you're putting air in it and you're going to drain it back out. You know, <laughs> and go back to nitrogen back. again. Yeah. <laughs> a hassle to me, yeah. Yeah, and for so, what? <laughs> I, yeah, I said the only way this is ever going to catch on is if shops just put the nitrogen generators in and don't charge people because it, it might be a tiny bit better. It, it's certainly not worth paying for, and that obviously didn't catch on. So, all right, uh, Leroy, you're up. What do you got today? So, I don't know if you remember, there was a guy a couple weeks ago in the show called in and said that he had that weird speedometer issue where it would like bounce just sitting there. Oh, and we yeah. got to talking about like hub, hub axle things. Uh, you remember all that? Yeah, I do. No. So he actually came into the shop and uh, he said that he took it to a couple other places, like three other places. They couldn't figure out the issue with the, the speedometer. They told him to, they had the international dealer ran two new wires from the ECM, which I can't even remember which two wires they ran. They said that there is electrical static in the line and to, to twist these wires, run them all up to the dash. So, and that was going to solve the issue. So the thing about that is the dash is the link dash. So, 
like it just comes over a, a data stream. Yeah. And the, the tech is working just fine. So I'm like, if the tech works, then the speedo works. Like, electrical static doesn't make sense. <laughs> electrical static. It's, it's a solar flare at sunspots. Yeah, so they they gave him some hullabaloo about running this and running that, and he's spent a bunch of money trying to fix it. And so he brings it up here. He gets tired of it. He brings it up here. And to make a long story short, it, it was a pretty quick find. Once The speed sensor had um, two outputs on it. So typically, a speed sensor is an inductive sensor, basically a magnet when metal passes by it, the, the teeth on the gear, it makes a little bit of a voltage, right? So normally you just have two wires come out and that goes to the ECM. Well, this one had four wires that came out, one that went to the ECM and then there was a yellow pair that we didn't know where it went. So what we ended up figuring out is there was this, we got the oscilloscope out, um, measured across it and we saw like this strange 10 volt signal coming from somewhere and it didn't look like it had any pattern. It just was like a 10 volt noise. Or like, uh, maybe it's, you know, uh, something like, the, I don't know, maybe it's touching a 12-volt wire somewhere. We're like, I don't know what, what's going on here. So we followed the yellow wire all through. It, it, like, came from the speed sensor, wrapped around the engine, like, twice, and then went up into the cab and then all the way across the dash. It was just ridiculous. And it went to a module that was put into international trucks. It was, it's called a, a Hewitt Motion sensor and the point of this box is to alert the driver if he is trying to move with the park brake set and what? it sets an alarm off yeah what? like you wouldn't notice that you're trying to move. are you kidding me we went through all this no, to so try to call. warn somebody that your park brake is on oh yeah somebody went through and developed oh this my god module. That would let you know that the park brake was on. Because oh. <laughs> like, you, you couldn't tell it the other way. So, Unbelievable. This thing, and this box is the speed sensor. The, the input on this box is 12 volts to turn it on. And then you had a park brake signal and then the vehicle speed sensor. That way it could compare, is the park brake on? Am I seeing vehicle speed? If it sees both of those, it sets the alarm off. Well, for some reason, inside this box, it, it was sending this... 10 volt signal back down the speed sensor wire, which then was connected because it was a four wire sensor to the ECM, which is making the dash go funny. So all we had to do to fix the problem was just unplug this useless module. <laughs> and I, it's like we talk about all the time. It's like, can you add features or can you do this? Like, yes, you can do it, but is but it worth why? it? This is one of these times you just add the feature. I don't know why. Oh, well, I think he so, said it was a training truck, like a CRST training truck or something like that. So, well, wait a minute. Uh, that, be able to drive. That, that's <laughs> even worse. It, we're trying to train drivers how to drive properly. Don't give them a bunch of crutches like that. That's just ignorant. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, was, if, uh, if that's the justification kind of because never- this is a training truck... Well, then you just screwed the guy up because you're not going to put him in a training truck the rest of his career. And this is the stupidest device I've ever heard of, I think. Maybe I'm missing something here. But even if you wanted some other warning, usually the warning is the fact that when you start to let the clutch out, you're not going anywhere. Um, But if you wanted some other warning, isn't there a much, much simpler way of doing this? Couldn't you just show that a switch is open or closed? Yeah, I mean the new like a newer Peterbilt. I know if you try if you hold like the throttle too long with the park brake on, like you're out there trying to rev it up, it'll it'll throw like an alarm. The dash will freak out, like oh, yeah. stop trying to go. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so kind of bad. Yeah, so I, I I spent all this time and money and had to drive from Nashville for us to unplug this motion sensor. Unbelievable, it's unreal. Yeah. And so this brings up another thought, because we talk about this all the time. Um, I have my book right here on my desk, How to Spot a Wolf in Siberia, The Basics of Troubleshooting. 
which is really valuable information to know. But the other thing we have to understand about troubleshooting is you need to understand how everything in the system works. If you don't understand those things, you can't troubleshoot anything. If you didn't have such a deep understanding of all that stuff going on, you'd never be able to get to a problem like this. And I believe the other part of that book, I can't remember. It's been a few months since I read it was like, sometimes there's just things you don't see coming. Right. Like I can't imagine any sort of troubleshooting tree. They're like, Oh, check to see if the motion sensor is bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. But, motion sensor. What the hell is that? I, uh, yeah. So, yeah. It, 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 it was kind of, and this is another reason why I talk about really good troubleshooters. The more experience they have, the better they get. And there's no way around that. You just have to see things sometimes enough to start to realize where the problems could be. And it's it's why I, I really tell people, as much as we might like some of the new engines when they come to market, you're probably better off staying away from them for a while. How many people do we have in this country that have 10 years experience working on a Packard MX? Probably none. Yeah, right. Or very few. You either have to just... I mean, it, it definitely helps when you have experience and you know what the problem is. But like in a situation like this where I've never seen this before, you just have to be able to know how to fix it. Like you have to have that foundational knowledge. Like, okay... I see that the dash is, is jumping. I know how this sensor works, so I'm going to use this tool to figure out what the signal looks like, and then we can kind of go from there. Right. Right. And and the other so, thing a lot yeah. of experience helps you do is go through the process of elimination faster. Something as simple as right. a cruise control issue isn't so simple because of how many inputs there are. But the more experience you have with that, you know, okay, there might be 12 inputs into the system, but seven of them we never see a problem with. So let's just ignore those. Let's focus on it. And then in a case like this, if you get through all the typical stuff and you're still stumped, like you may have been in this case, well, now, okay, we've eliminated the stuff that normally happens. This is something new. So great, uh, great stuff today. What else you got? Um, yeah, I mean, there's multiple other stories from this week, but maybe I'll save those for another time. Yeah, we, uh, we blew through an entire hour, but, uh, it was worth it. I enjoyed it. We do have a bunch of calls. So anybody have anything they want to say before we start on the calls? I'm good. Nope. Good. good. All right. We're going to get to it then. Let's go to Illinois. Brad, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? I called you yesterday and got pretty chewed out. I, well, I, I was uh, out, uh, I was a little hard on you, so I'm glad you called back because I think we all learned a few things from your call yesterday. So thanks for calling back. Were you able to find anything more in the paperwork or were you able to talk to the shop at all? Uh, well, what I sit there because I, I wasn't planning on talking. So therefore, I hadn't really thought a whole lot about it up until we got to talking about it. But the original, the original complaint with the engine that when I took it into the shop was I actually had an external coolant leak, and I explained to them the issue that I'd been having with an internal coolant leak and the internal leak that I couldn't ever find was like driving it on light to medium loads on mainly flat grounds. I never had any coolant leaks or coolant loss, but if I had a heavy load with heavy pools, that's when the coolant would drop, it'd come back up, Sometimes it'd just be gone and have to refill the jug. And I'd ask the shop about it multiple times, like, is this, which I didn't think it'd be normal, but it's like, what is 
going on with it, and they pretty much continually just blew me off like, oh, that's normal. That happens. <laughs> coolant loss. Coolant loss. You'll, you'll lose coolant over time. It's like, no, you like, won't. Man, I ain't never lost No, you coolant. won't. Yeah, that it's is. Like, I've never lost coolant over time. That is a false statement, and it's we like, should never think that way. We don't lose coolant over time. Right, it's, it's a like sealed years. system. Yeah, when, when I tell people all the time, when you lose coolant, something's wrong. It, it, something is wrong. If you are consistently adding coolant, even in small amounts, it, it's something's wrong. Now, if you've had the, the cooling system worked on and then you go back to drive it and it shows up low and you put a little in and it, once in a while, that'll happen for a while till you kind of get the system topped off again. But after that, you shouldn't be adding coolant. Pete, does does this sound familiar at all? That there, there are times when, uh, especially on you know a, a heavy load, a lot of hard pulls, his coolant light would come on. He'd stop. It would be low, but it would actually come back up over time on its own. Sometimes, sometimes he had to add. Does that sound like anything you guys were seeing? Oh, hold on a second. The uh, for some reason, my phone. All right. Uh, if anybody is listening to the live broadcast, I don't know if anybody can hear me on the uh, on anything right now, but um, I, we're going to have to wrap it up for today. Uh, we had a lot of great material for the first hour. We just really didn't get to any calls. Um, I just there's just nothing I can do here on the fly. So looks like we are going to have to wrap this up for today. Um, Sorry, hold on. I'm getting some messages. Maybe. Uh, nope. Doesn't look like we have uh, any solution. So we're going to have to wrap this up for today. Um, just know we are working towards all of our own technology. So hopefully we can minimize some of these tech issues we're working with. Uh, in order for us to do what we do every day, live callers, live streaming, recording, all those things, we've got such a complicated system hacked together right now that if one thing goes wrong, it's very, very difficult for me to adjust on the fly. So, um, Sorry about that. We will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.